found it. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all. And those who might be at home online, I can't see you, but hi. Glad that you're here. Um, as Lilia mentioned, um, this wasn't a scheduled sermon, but it's here. So you pray and, and I'll talk like I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, we've just come through the Christmas season. And I don't know, if, you know, somewhere probably over the holiday time, you came across some version of the Christmas carol. There's been so many. And, and they're all, except, you know, I'm going to make enemies here, but except the Muppets one. <laughs> Come on. It, it just doesn't do it for me. Now, my, if my daughter were here, she'd be booing me because they watch it faithfully every Christmas. And, okay. But... That being said, typically, gather a group of, especially Americans, and if you say, let's do a word association, right? If I say the word Ebenezer, you say, right? Yeah. All right, now, shift gears. Think as a Christian. Think Bible. All right? And we say the word Ebenezer. What would you say then? Perfect. Stone. And that's the story we're going to talk about today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to, to 1 Samuel, the seventh chapter, um, I, I want to share something that I believe the Lord's given to me to share with you for today. Um, the seventh chapter of 1 Samuel, and I'm just going to read one verse as a, as a kickoff for our time together. Verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Has anyone ever needed help from the Lord? How about like every breath, <laughs> right? And Ebenezer means a stone of help, a place of help that we can rely on. Now, let, let me take a couple minutes and give some background to, to where we are. Um, the, the book of Samuel, okay, Old Testament, written by Samuel. Um, Samuel was the, the last judge and the first prophet of Israel. Um, if you recall the story, Samuel anointed the first king of Israel. And I guess really the second king as well, it, Saul and then, and then David. Um, it was a period, of, he, he walked Israel through that period of time where they made a shift. They went from a nation that was a theocracy to a nation that had now a monarchy. Because prior to, God was their king, if you would. And then there came that time where they demanded a king like other nations. They wanted to be like the other nations in the world. And, and um, God granted them that desire. Um, it, it, they were warned against it, but he graciously granted and, and Saul became the first king of Israel. And in the book, it opens with a story uh, about this, this somewhat dysfunctional family, um, which, without offending anybody, it's probably true of every family to some degree. We all have some level or area or degree of, of dysfunction because we're human beings, because we're, we're learning and growing and, and trying to, to figure this whole thing out as Life unfolds day by day. But it starts with this man called Elkanah. Okay, he, he's a righteous man. 
He's a godly man, and he has two wives. Now, that sounds strange to us, but biblical times, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for, for that to take place. And we know that the Bible lists their name. The, the, his one wife was, was Penina. And the only real description we have of these wives is that Penina had children, and his other wife was Hannah, and Hannah didn't because she was barren. And if you know the story, you know, and if you know the culture, for a, a married woman to not have children was a re- reproach. It was an embarrassment. It was, it was considered something, something's really wrong with you. And it was a burden that Hannah carried and, and cried out to God continually to the point that one day she was um, in the temple crying out to God and, and made a promise to God that, God, if you'll just give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And you know the story unfolds from there, that that her prayer is granted. And she gives birth to Samuel. And and she is faithful to her promise to the Lord's. Samuel is now somewhere, theologians guess, the range is somewhere between two and nine years old. When she takes him to the temple and, and leaves him there to be raised and mentored by the um, Eli, who was the chief priest um, and judge in, um, in Shiloh. Okay? And so Samuel is now young boy. He's living in the temple with this, the chief priest in Shiloh. Shiloh is an important place in the Bible because if you recall, when Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan, they finally entered the promised land, he set up his home base at this place called Shiloh. It was where his headquarters, where he, they would, um, from there, do all their, their excursions, all their conquering, all their conquests would happen, and then they would regroup at Shiloh. And even more important than that, it was at Shiloh they set up the tabernacle of God. It was at Shiloh the, the priests ministered in the holy place. And even more important than that, there was the, in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant, that, that sacred box, that represented the Shekinah glory of God, that the presence of God with the people, his promise, his covenant to be with them. And, and this is all happening at Shiloh. Okay, so, and, and the tabernacle has been in Shiloh now for hundreds of years. From when Joshua first entered the land, it's been hundreds of years now. And Eli as the chief priest, but he's been priest for a long time, and he's been a judge of Israel. He's now an old man. And his two sons, um, Phineas and Hophni, are actually carrying out the, the ministry. They're actually doing the ministry in, in the temple. Um, and the Bible tells us they're, they're not good guys. They're, they're wicked. They're evil. They're, they're, they've perverted their role. They take advantage. They're, they were um, immoral. They were, they were um, illegal in, in, according to the law in many of the ways that they were um, operating the temple. They were dishonest in their, in their treatment of the people. And, and this was unfolding, and, and Eli couldn't seem to correct the problem for whatever reasons. And in chapter 4, I'm, we're doing just a quick flyby. I encourage you, if you haven't read the book of Samuel recently, I, it's a good read. I, I encourage you to do that. Chapter 4, we find that Israel's at war with the Philistines. Okay, Um, Eli's two sons are there. They're sort of like in charge. And unfortunately, Israel's losing. The battle's not going well. It's not going in their favor. And and 
Eli's sons come up with this brilliant idea. Let's go back to Shiloh and bring the ark because then we'll win. If, if God's presence is here with us by bringing the ark, we're, we're going to turn the tide of this whole thing. So they, it's exactly what they do. They go, they get the ark, they bring it. The Bible says that as the ark enters um, into, into the, where the army is encamped, uh, the people of Israel, there's a great shout to the point that the Philistines heard it. They heard the shout and then they found out why, because the ark had been brought in. And now the, the Philistines are really nervous because there's, there's, the ark has a reputation and its win-loss record is really, really good. And so they're nervous, but they, they encourage themselves and say, listen, we're just going to give it our all. And they, they go into battle again, and Israel's all excited because they, they have the ark with them, and they lose. And they're, they're, they're overwhelmed by the Philistines. And Hophni and Phinehas are killed in the battle. And what's worse is the ark of the covenant of God is taken captive by the the Philistines, and they haul it away. One of the soldiers from the battlefield made it back to Shiloh and gave Eli the report. And when he heard that his sons were dead, he was heartbroken. But when he heard the ark of God was taken, it says he fell off his chair, broke his neck, and died. Okay? There's a lesson here that I can't take time to develop a lot, but I'll just plant a seed that you can go think about. But we have to be very cautious about how we handle the presence in the name of God. That saying in the name of Jesus or using a scripture isn't something we can just throw and slap on something and just assume it's like, you know, a, a miracle thing. It, it's, it's just, it's just going to make everything right. And we have no faith and no lifestyle and no confidence and no direction or obedience to God behind what it is we're doing. We just think that it's like this magical pill that we can throw into a situation and God has to make it all right. That's exactly what Israel tried to do. They hadn't been living for the Lord. They hadn't been considering the Lord. They've been, they're, they're, they're worshiping other gods, but yet in the time of trouble, let's go get the ark. And it didn't work. It didn't work. So the ark is now taken to Ashdod. The Philistines take it to their city, and it's the city where it's the center of, of um, one of their primary gods, whose name is Dagon. And, and they set the ark of the covenant in the temple with Dagon. And it's really one of the, I, to me, it's one of the more comical stories in Scripture. Because they, they set him there, and they come out the next day, and they go into the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant's there, and Dagon is laying flat on his face. And they think, that's odd. So they stand him up, and everything's fine. Day two, they go in. Dagon, the idol, is flat on his face, only this time his, his arms and legs are also cut off, and they're just sitting at the doorway. I think that's hilarious. I don't know what you think about it. I, I think it's funny. I think it's funny that God even included in Scripture just for our entertainment maybe. But it, the power of our God can never. You know, God is never intimidated by the world. We may get afraid of things going on out there. God it never is. We get overly wrought and concerned and anxious about things. God never is. He, he's never lost. 
he never will. Amen? Amen. So, um, the Philistines don't know what to do. They say, this is, this is not a good thing. And then, on top of that, tumors started breaking out on the men of the city. And even in other places, in the area surrounding. And some of them even would die. And, and the leaders met and they said, well, you know what? Let's take the ark over to Gath, a different city. They take it to Gath. Same thing happens. And men start to die. And so they say, well, this isn't good. So they took the... They took the ark to Ekron. Now, if you were a man living in Ekron, what would you be thinking about that moment in time? And they did. They, they voiced the complaint. They said, we do not want it here. And it, it's exactly what happened. Tumors broke out. And most of the men in the city died once the ark was brought there. And so they call, the Philistines call their leadership together again and say, well, what are we going to do? And they come up with this plan. And you know the plan. They say, well, let's get a cart. They got a couple of cows. They hooked them up to the cart. They put the Ark of the Covenant on the, on the cart, and they took them out, and, and they said, go. And their, their plan was this. Well, if, if the cart goes towards Israel, then we know that all that's taken place really was the hand of the God of Israel operating against us, and we're doing the right thing. And if it goes the other direction, then this has all just been coincidence, and the, and the God of Israel really has no real power, no influence. These things just happened to happen at the same simultaneously with our having the ark. They released the ark or the, the cart, and of course it heads right towards Israel. And the people, it goes to a, a city called Beth Shemesh. And the people are working in the field and they see the ark coming and there's great rejoicing. Um, and they gladly receive and they're all celebrating. Um, but for whatever reason, we don't really know. It, the Bible just says that 70 men died because they mishandled the ark. They, they looked inside of it. First, you're not supposed to touch the ark. We know that. Let alone look inside of it. And 70 men died as a result. And so they sent messengers to another city and said, come and get it. We're, this is too much for us. We don't want to handle it. So they, they, the, the city they sent messengers to is called Kiriath Jerium. Um, and it's taken to the house of a man named Abinadab. His son Eliezer is appointed, appointed over the ark. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant rested. That's where we pick up chapter 7. All right? Of 1 Samuel. And as we get into this chapter, it's, Samuel's no longer a child. It's now 20 years later. 20 years have passed. 20 years have transpired, and the Holy of Holies for all this time, it's Shiloh. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle has been empty for 20 years. They've still been doing their, the priests have still been ministering. They've still been doing the religious thing, but there was no Ark of the Covenant. There, and, and as far as we know, there was no idea or movement or activity or interest in bringing the Ark back. There was no petition by the people. Um, they, they just kept doing the, the things that they always did, but there was no ark. There, were, there was no presence. They just kept doing the, 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 what they've known to do traditionally. And it's, it's sort of scary to think that you can, you, can do, you can do church without the presence of God. You know what I mean? It's really possible. It's possible to, to do all the stuff, 
and, and God not even be a part of or a consideration of what it is you're doing. You know, Paul gave a warning. The Apostle Paul gave a warning. He said, in the last days, and he wasn't, he wasn't talking about the world, and he wasn't talking about other kinds of religious people. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about the church. He said, in the last days, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. That's, that's a, a bit of a terrifying statement. They'll have a form of godliness. They'll, they'll go to church. They'll sing the songs. They'll do the outreaches. They'll, you know, clap their hands. They'll do all the things that they've known to do. But they, they'll deny its power. What that means is that means that, that they, they won't, they won't, Believe, or they won't allow the power that's attached to what they say they believe to free them from the bondage of sin. They'll, they'll try to walk that line between pleasing themselves and still pleasing God. You know, you, you've probably never had the thought because you're holier than I am. But there's been times in my life growing up where I remember actually thinking, I wonder how good do I have to be? Like, where's the line? Because, it, because you want to, it's a tendency, we want to get right up to the line. We still want to go to heaven. Something happens and we die. We want to go to heaven. But, but short of that, how much can I do? How much can I get away with? And it's a, it's a dangerous way to live because it's denying the power. God, I know you. God, I love you. God, I worship you. God, I do all this religious stuff. But when it really comes to taking the power of the gospel, and which the power of the gospel is that I can defeat sin in my life. I can overcome sin. I can walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. My life can actually take on and begin to become a reflection of who he is. I can become more and more and more like Christ. I can throw off the, 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 the flesh and I can walk in the spirit. But we deny the power thereof. We're Christians. And we're doing the right things and it looks good and everyone thinks we're cool. But in our hearts, there's no art. There's no presence. The closeness, the nearness of God is, is missing See, Israel's devotion was, was looked good in practice, but is hollow. There was no passion behind what they were doing and their, their worship to the Lord. Now, in the background during all this time, God has been grooming and promoting Samuel. In, in chapter 3, verse 19 20, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Boy, I love that statement. I pray that over my own life. I pray it over your life. None of his words fell to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Can I tell you something? When you walk in the, in the will of God for your life, when you walk in the steps that the Lord lays out for you, you don't have to tell anybody you're a Christian. You don't have to give anybody your, your, your business card with your list of you know, titles or accomplishments or, 
whatever. People know because God promotes those who follow hard after him. No matter how dark life may seem, no matter how dark the world may feel around you, God never gives up on his people. Israel was in terrible shape, but yet Samuel was growing. Samuel's anointing was, was deepening and increasing. Samuel's ministry to the people was becoming more and more validated day by day by day by day. Let, let's be those people. If we get a choice, and we do, let's, let's be those people. No matter how dark the world may seem to be around us, and the world's always been dark. Did you know that? The world's always been dark since the garden and the fall in the garden. It's always been dark. But let's be that city on a hill that can't be hidden. Let's be those people who won't hide their light under a bushel. Let's be a people who will live. Light shines its brightest against a dark backdrop. And a dark, if a dark, a dark backdrop needs one thing more than anything else, it needs light. It needs something to dispel the darkness. In, in our text, we find that Samuel's now leading a spiritual return to God. He's been working with the people, and the people have been honoring him and, and revering him as, as a true prophet of God. They've been listening to him, and, he, and he's been leading them back to a return to God, to put away their idols and to, to once again serve the Lord and only the Lord. And, and the people have been responding. So he, he calls the people now to, to this city called Mizpah. He says, okay, we're gonna, if you guys are serious... We're going to gather there, and we're going to devote ourselves to the Lord. We're going to repent. We're going to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. We're going to reconnect with God. We're going to, we're going to put away all the stuff that's been hindering us, and, and we're, going to, we're going to get real about this thing. We're going to get serious about this thing. The problem is, as they were gathering, the people were responding, and they're gathering and amassing themselves at Mizpah. Word gets to the Philistines that the Israelites are gathering, and they thought, Israel was planning to attack them. They thought Israel was planning to, to, to go to war against them. Um, and there's a little lesson there, too, that if you don't be surprised when you when you make spiritual advancements in your walk with the Lord, don't be surprised if there's pushback. Don't be surprised if there's resistance. Don't be surprised if if maybe people who you were close to don't feel as close. They don't call as often. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. It could happen even within your family. It could happen within the church. We're buds, but if you get more spiritual than me, then I'm worried about you. I'm just, I'm just giving you fair warning. Don't be surprised that that may happen. As you follow the Lord, sometimes people distance. As you get closer to God... Sometimes it creates distance with other people. And you just have to know it up front. Because there is sometimes a price to pay for following hard after the Lord. So Israel is afraid. They hear now that the Philistines are coming. And they're, they're scared to death because they're not gathered for war. They were there for another reason. But here comes the Philistines and they're afraid. So they, they call on Samuel. They plead with Samuel and say, please call on God. We, we need help. Brings us finally to our primary text. Uh, let, let's read 
1 Samuel 7, verses 10 through 12. As Samuel was offering, as he was offering the burn, offer, the burn offering, the Philistines drew near to, to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then the verse we read already. Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. I have one point I want to give to you today. All this has been background and foundation. And I have one point and burden of, of, of our message today. Um, and it, it, it really speaks to those. I'm talking to those who, who in any area of your life, need some help today. Help from God. Whatever that help may look like, if it's physical or financial, if it's relational, if you need help understanding some of the things that are plaguing your mind, if you need help um, in, in knowing direction or next steps to take in some area of your life, if you need help understanding something, whatever, whatever help is to you today, uh, that, that's what I'm talking to, to who I'm talking to today. And, and my point is this. I, I want to talk about the thunder of God for a couple minutes. It, it's the pivotal point in this story. God thundered, and when he thundered, Israel won, and the Philistines lost. Israel was built up, and the enemy was scattered. So I want to talk to those who may be in some kind of difficulty today. Maybe you've been asking God for help, and it just doesn't seem to have happened yet. I hope this is an encouragement to you today, the, the thunder of God. Because when God thunders, things happen. Okay, when God thunders, help comes. See, see, the power of God has a sound. And God's sound is powerful. And I want to try and build on that for a moment. When, when, when God sounds, when God thunders, enemies are dispersed. Victories are won. Bodies are healed. Relationships are stored are restored. Provision is made. All the needs that could rise in our life, when God thunders, suddenly they find resolution. And God has thundered throughout history. At creation, God thundered when he said, let there be light. Every time he spoke, something that never existed became, came and sprung into existence. Things that weren't suddenly were. When God thundered, God thundered when he, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He thundered when he commanded the waters from under the earth and waters from the heaven to come down and flood the earth. To, just, to, to purge the earth of the sinfulness in which God found their state of being. God thundered when he said to Abraham, go from your country to a land that I'll show you. And in Abram's obedience, nations were formed. When, when God spoke that word and Abram obeyed, nations were formed by the sound of God. God thundered from a burning bush when he called Moses to go back to 
Egypt, when he says at the bush, take your shoes off because this is holy ground and I have something for you to do. His thunder was heard with every plague in Israel. Every time Moses uttered, let my people go on behalf of God. That was the voice of God sounding with power and authority and might. His thunder was heard at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army closing in. Darkness encroaching. No way out. And suddenly a way that didn't exist existed. And the people are spared and saved because God sounded in the earth. And that same sound that rescued them destroyed their enemy. God thundered at Mount Sinai when he gave Moses his law. God thundered at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, the the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing. Mountain of death and life. And God instructs and says, choose life. I put before you death and life. Choose life. The thunder of God was heard on Mount Carmel through the prophet Elisha. Choose today who you're going to serve. If the world has what you need, then go there. But if God is God, if Jehovah is God, then serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. God thundered through judges, through priests, through prophets. God has this unique way of making himself heard in the earth for those who would have ears to hear what he has to say. I want you to know something. You know, we just celebrated and walked through the Christmas season. The incarnation, the word becoming flesh was the thunder of God in the earth. It was God thundering again, sounding again with power and majesty. It wasn't a booming thunder like what probably was heard in the text. It was more of a rolling thunder. It started as a silent night, a holy night. Just Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds heard it. See, God had been silent. God hadn't sounded for a long time. When Malachi, the prophet Malachi, is the last recorded prophet of the Old Testament, when he set his pen down, heaven went silent. It's been 400 years. Israel hasn't heard the sound of God. God hasn't thundered in any way for hundreds of years. And Israel has been controlled and, and just a pawn on the world scene from empire to empire, empire, just being handed off and conquered and controlled over all those generations of time, but now suddenly <coughs> heaven is sounding again. Suddenly the rumble of the voice of God is starting to be heard again. The thunder of God is starting to, to resound again. And an angel appears to an old priest whose name was Zacharias. And he says, your, your barren wife's going to have a child. And that child is from me and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That same angel appears to another woman and that even though she's a virgin, he tells her you're going to have and carry the son of God. You're going to birth the son of God into the earth. You're going to have a son who's devoted to the purposes and plan of God. The story keeps unfolding. Decree of Caesar, Mary and Joseph, Mary ready to deliver, have to go to Bethlehem. And the humility and simplicity of a manger the Son of God 
comes into the earth. Not a lot of pomp and circumstance. Not a lot of noise and, 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 and glare, but the effects of that holy night. The effects of the thunder that began on that night sent reverberations throughout all of creation and continues to grow and build even today. God thundered in a significant way. And I want you to get this picture in a very real kind of way. The incarnation of Jesus, God sending his son into the earth, was God's way of holding up to himself an Ebenezer stone, saying, here's a stone of help. You want help? I'm bringing you help. I'm giving you help. Darkness is growing. Life is hard. Sin is encroaching everywhere. I'm, I'm giving you help. And he lifts up his son as an Ebenezer stone saying, here's the help you need. Things are painful maybe. Here's the help you need. Things are dark. Here's the help you need. I got the doctor's report. Here's the help you need. The finances are in this shape. Here's the help you need. My kids are just going crazy. Here's the help you need. All these things that come against us in life, all the things that rise up to overtake us in life, God says in this one moment of time, here's the help you need. There's the stone of help that I'm providing to you. Psalms 118 says that he's the stone the builders rejected. Deuteronomy 32 says he's the rock that's perfect and just. 1 Samuel 2 says there's no rock like our God. Amen. Psalm 18 says he's our rock, he's our fortress, he's our deliverer. Isaiah says he's our everlasting rock. First Peter said he's the cornerstone laid in Zion that's precious and chosen. To the unbeliever, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But he's, he's the foundation that wise men build their house on. He's the rock of ages. He's the rock of our salvation. Peter's revelation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and on that rock, I'm going to build my church. He's the rock that God has sent. He's the Ebenezer stone from whence come our help. And that was just the beginning. The sound of God started at the incarnation, but he continued to thunder. And that sound's been heard by countless men and women in all generations, believers and unbelievers. The Magi heard it, and they loaded up and traveled for years just to bring gifts. Herod heard it, and he feared for his position as king. Israel heard it. And there came a time where Jesus had to stop preaching in the cities because there was too many people who were coming to hear him preach and needed what he had. So he had to start meeting out on hillsides because of the crowds. Jairus heard it and his daughter was raised and given back to him from the dead. A woman who couldn't stop bleeding heard it and she had the faith to dare sneak behind him and just touch his garment and was instantly made whole. The ten lepers heard it and as they went to show themselves to the priest, they found their skin completely cleansed and healed. The winds and the waves heard it and the storm ceased. The fish and the loaves heard it and multiplied until thousands of men and women were all fed to uh, their fullness. Nicodemus heard it and he realized his need to be born again spiritually. The Jewish elders heard it and they tried to drown out the sound. They tried to silence him. Pilate heard it, but he ignored it because he wanted to protect himself, and he sent Jesus to the cross. Two thieves heard it. One cursed and died. One believed, 
and met Jesus in paradise that same day. Centurion on the cross heard it and said, truly, this was the Son of God. See, his thunder can't be stopped. And it couldn't be stopped. It didn't stop then. Jesus was died. He died and he was buried. And God thundered again. The sky darkened. The earth shook. The Bible says the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. Graves were open and the righteous dead came alive, walked out of their graves and traveled through the city. And, and many were seen and talked to by many. Sunday morning, the loudest sound that's ever been heard in all of creation, in all of um, humanity, comes this thundering voice by an angel. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. It's a sound. It's a thunder that is still alive today. We resound. We affirm that today. Every time we say he is risen. He is risen. It's a sound that can't be quenched. It's a sound that reverberates over and over and over again. The sound of his victory has been heard by believers in every generation, in every nation, in every language, in every culture, over all the world since the crucifixion. The Bible tells us about two men who heard it on the road to Emmaus, and their hearts were set ablaze because they realized they were in the presence of the resurrected Christ. The disciples heard it on the day of Pentecost, and they spoke in languages that they didn't know, and the thunder rolled out from that upper room, and they heard it throughout the city, and men were gathering around where the disciples were because they heard their language being spoken, and testimony of the mighty works of God were being uttered, and they knew that these men who were speaking their language didn't know their language, and 3,000 men and women gave their hearts to the Lord that day. Paul heard it on his way to Damascus, and it changed his life forever. And this one who first at one time was trying to destroy the church became the biggest proponent and spreader of the gospel that any man or woman has ever been. Think of the times that God's thundered in your life. Think of the times where you've heard and witnessed the sound of God. How about just at your salvation, if nothing else, when you had that moment of realization that I need God, that I have, I'm a sinner. I stand before God and I need forgiveness. I need something more than myself to exist and, and thrive in this world. I need Jesus to come and be my Lord and Savior. Think of times where, where he's sounded out in your life by making provision, made a way where there wasn't one. Times when your body was sick and, and then it was, wasn't. Think of times when you, you've encountered his presence in those ways you can't even find words to describe. It was something so deep inside of you, something so holy was happening inside of you that you can't really even today. You, you could try, but there's not enough words to, to express to someone else what the, the depth of what was taking place in that, in that encounter times where his voice spoke into a circumstance in your life and it came with and brought wisdom and direction and, and, and um, healing and, and power and might. Think of those times where God has intercepted your life with his goodness and you heard his sound. Aren't you glad we have a God who thunders? And God's not done. He's not done. God plans, the Bible says, to thunder again. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, with the sound of a trumpet, 
with the shout of an archangel. A thunder so loud that it wakens believers out of their graves. And all around the globe, cemeteries and battlefields and oceans and church graveyards, anywhere a Christian is buried, is going to rise up. A thunder that's so real, a sound that's so powerful that those who are still alive on the planet are going to rise and ascend and meet them in the air and forever be with the Lord. There's a thunder of God that we haven't heard yet. I hope you keep your ears open. Let me close with one final thought. I started out by saying I want to talk to those who need some help today. Whether you think that's a big thing in life or a little thing, it doesn't matter if you need help in some area. Don't miss or overlook the help that God has available to you. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that happened. See, it got to a point, because of Israel's ignorance, it got to a point where God had to work a, a, a big miracle in order for them to get the help they needed. And thank God, God will do that. But sometimes it gets to that point and maybe doesn't need to. Because God gives little callings along the way. God is always available to help. But sometimes we keep, oh, I have one more idea. Let me try that first, God. You know, there's one more book I need to read. There's one more sermon I need to listen to. There's one more. And we seem to be this people we have to exhaust everything before we really allow God to help us. But it doesn't need to be that way. Listen, just an interesting factoid in in our text. When Israel faced the Philistines the, the first time, before they lost the battle, before the ark of God was taken away from them, before the presence of God became distanced from them, before all the devastation and all the loss of life and all the fear and angst and anxiety and all the getting beat up by the enemy, before all of that, chapter 4, 1 Samuel says that when, when Israel was called to, to come against the Philistines, they gathered in a city whose name was Ebenezer. You see, before all that happened, they were already in the place where God would help them. They were already in a place of help. God was available. He's the same God then as he was later. They could have called on him then. They could have trusted in him then instead of relying on their own devices. Instead of you know, going through their checklist first. Let's put cry out to God for help on the top of the list instead of somewhere towards the bottom. But they failed to call on him. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, but as an encouragement today. Wherever you are today, whatever your area of difficulty is, whatever help you need, God's available now. God's available today. This is a day to call upon him. This is a day to humble yourself. This is a day to admit your weakness. 
your shortcoming. This is the day to cry out to God and say, I need your help. This is a day to lift up your eyes to the hill from whence comes your help. Your help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. There's no other place you can turn to for help. Without even knowing your area of difficulty, I can promise you this, God's the solution. God's the source, God's the provider of what it is you need. The Israelites failed to call on him, even though they were in this place called Ebenezer, place of help. You're in that place today. You're in that place today. And God is more than willing, more than willing and desirous to provide the help you need, the strength you need, the energy you need. I've been struggling so long, Pastor. You just don't understand. You know what? He'll even provide you the faith you need to trust him for the help you need. Why don't you stand? I want to close our service, but with a simple fashion, because I want to, I want to pray together. So if there's an area in your life, and again, big or small, it doesn't really matter, but if there's an area of your life where you could really think in your mind right now, you know what, it, it'd be great if, I really do need some help in that area, and be great if, if God would help. I really do need to ask God, yeah, maybe it's something you've been struggling with, you never even thought of asking God yet to help you in it until this moment. And the Spirit of God is, is, is saying and nudging you in that area of life. I, I, I want you to do something just by faith because I think some, sometimes we have to add something tangible, physical that we do as part of our act of faith. And for centuries, for millennia, people of God have come to altars to get what they need from God, to devote themselves and receive from God his purposes, his will, his blessings, his help. So that, that's how I want to end our service today. I'm going to ask you just as we're getting ready to close, you're not going to say anything, do anything, but just to tell God that you're serious, that God, I'm your child. And I recognize in this area of my life, I, I want your help. I want your help. Whether you think it's a big thing or a little thing. In fact, I'll tell you, if it's a little thing, you really need to come. Because if it's a little thing you don't ask for help, it's going to become a big thing. So, so would you do that? While I'm just here, just, just move out and, and let's come forward. And just ask God, we're just, God, I'm laying this thing down. I'm just saying, help me with this. Help me with my, my health. Help me with my attitude. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my job. Students, help me, help me in school. Help me make right decisions with, you know, my friends don't always understand what I'm trying to be as a Christian. And, you know, just, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but you need help. You, you really want God to help. And, and he loves it. He, he, he loves it when, when you, you call on him for help. Think, you, you who are parents, there's those moments where your, your children are struggling and, inst- and, and they, they come to that realization that why am I messing with this? Mom, would you help me? Dad, would you help me? You know what? A loving parent doesn't say no. 
they find ways to help. They always find ways to help. And God is the perfect parent, the perfect father. And he just reads your heart. And he says, of course I'll help you. I'll give you, I'll give you what you need. First of all, I'm going to help you because I'm, I'm there. I promise. I'll never leave or forsake you. So my presence is with you. And you need to know that. And maybe some of our help is turning our eyes off of our difficulty and onto the Savior. Recognizing and affirming every day in the midst of that thing that God is here. God is my help. God is my source. And then keeping, just keeping the eye of faith open and the ear of faith open to see how he's going to direct you and how he's going to provide and meet and help in those areas. It may not be just to take it away. It, it may be that he wants to use it to teach you a few things first. It may be he wants to build something inside of you in the process. But he promises to help. He's the stone of help. So, Father, here we are. We, we've heard your word. We've, we've taken in your word. And now we want your word to work in us. God, you, you are a God of help. When, when Jesus, when, when before you left the earth, you said that it was good for you to leave because by leaving, you were going to send us a helper. And you put your spirit inside of us. So the help that we need isn't just even from outside. There's a resource of the help of God in us to face every enemy, every difficulty, to answer every question, to provide for every need. So Lord, we just say as your children, Father, help us. Be our help. Whatever's the cause of my brothers and sisters standing at your altar today, Lord, you know. Read their heart. Encourage their heart. Be their help. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd, I'd give you one other encouragement. Sometimes part of God bringing us the help we need, sometimes part of that help is finding not many, but just one or two trusted people of faith that you dare share it with. We hate to admit weaknesses to other people. We hate to admit that, you know, we don't have it all together all the time. But sometimes God, God's help comes through other believers. And if they do nothing more than encourage you and pray for you and bring your name before the Lord on a regular basis, that's a lot. It's a lot. So I'll leave that with you just to, just to consider 
And then the second thing is this. When God shows up, and he will, you're going to have one of these aha moments down the road. It could be tomorrow. It could be later today. It could be five years from now, 10 years from now. But you're going to have an aha moment where you look at this difficulty and you realize, oh, oh, God helped me. He really did. It's not a problem anymore. Whenever that aha moment is, let me encourage you. Don't keep it to yourself. The church as Christians, we we lose a lot of encouragement from one another because God does things in our life and we don't tell anybody. Wasn't wasn't that our service last week? Wasn't it so warm and encouraging as, as men and women of God just got and gave here's how God helped me. And when, when that happens, everybody's strengthened. It's also how we give God glory for what he's done in our life. Amen. Just lift your hands. If you're comfortable doing that, receive the blessing of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you like he is every single day. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you of his peace that passes understanding. And may you walk in the confidence and the rest of knowing that your help is from above, from the God, the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you were here today.